This is an ABC podcast. So, Norman, as a doctor, I need to ask you a question. How early is too early to start Christmas stuff? Well, I think you should um, sit down, rub your sleeve, not take your blood pressure. <laughs> well, I think, you know, the time to start thinking about Christmas is around about the 27th of December. <laughs> For the following year? Yeah. I actually know people who start buying the presents pretty much all year round, you know, just stocking up. Those people sound way more organised than me, but I can't, I've got two small, very Christmassy people in my house and we've been listening to Christmas carols for the last week. Oh my I can't God. say I'm mad about it. No, I'm, I'm into it. I'm into it. Right. <laughs> Good. Good luck with that one. <laughs> Just want to really hit fever pitch about two weeks out so that we're all like a crying mess by the actual Christmas itself. Yeah, the advantage in being Jewish is that you get two bites of this. You get Hanukkah presents and you get Christmas presents as well. So it's, you know, it's just one long party, really. Love it. Well done. Well, let's get into Coronacast, a show all about the coronavirus. I'm health reporter Tegan Taylor coming to you from Jagera and Turable Land. And I'm physician and journalist Dr. Norman Swan. It's Wednesday, November 23rd. 2022. And I'm just going to tell you, Tegan, this is episode number 495. So, Norman, last week we did Coronacast and then we had to come back a couple of hours later and update it because we were talking about waves and the advice from government was that the waves were maybe getting a bit smaller and shorter based on international statistics. And I asked you about it and you said yes. That's correct. But we've had a bit more of a chance to go over the data in the last week. And I think it's good for us to give our audience an update about just what to expect with this new wave and whether it really is going to be smaller and shorter and what that actually might look like. Yes, like a lot goes on with COVID, we're in a learning mode. And there's no question when you look at the pattern, particularly of deaths, the waves have gone or become smaller. They've not necessarily become shorter, by the way. Um, they were pretty short and sharp in the first year when we talked about the original virus, the ancestral virus, and then you had alpha and delta and so on. But during Omicron, they've been flatter, but longer. And you might remember that right at the beginning of the pandemic, we had this debate about that people were saying, oh, should you flatten the curve? This was a debate that went on in Britain, for example. Should you flatten the curve? Because if you flatten the curve, you'll just make it longer. And in fact, Professor Provokenko's modelling at uh, University of Sydney suggested, and statisticians call this the area under the curve, that the number of people affected would be maybe round about the same, but in fact, it would be smoother and the system would be able to cope with it better. Yeah, there's less stress on the health system at any one point in time. That's right. And then that was superseded by the fact that they started to realise probably around about May, June, and we talked about it a lot at that point, is we could actually get to zero spread, not zero COVID, but zero spread or very low levels of spread, which really, we lost that debate fairly early on or not, we didn't come back to it. So what you're seeing here is lower peaks, but they're not necessarily shorter. They, they may actually be going on longer. So we had quite a long period of Omicron in the first six or seven months of this year because we got changes to the subvariants, went from BA1 and 2 to BA4 and 5. And then we went into a dip with very little COVID. And now we're, you know, several weeks ago, we started this current wave that we're seeing now. Don't confuse the slowness or the peak of the wave to the number of people who are actually infected because it could just be a slower burn in a sense. 
But just to remind people, despite the fact that the peaks were getting lower, we had the highest death rate in the world, according to Johns Hopkins University data, round about July, August of this year. So in a lower wave, when you've got large numbers of people under the curve, you can still get lots of deaths. So it's great that we're not getting these big peaks, but it's not necessarily all good news in that we should, should not relax about it. When we're talking about the curve and the peaks of the curve and that sort of thing, we had really good data on how much COVID was around a year or two ago because we were testing it so stringently and now the testing is not probably not capturing even close to everyone who's got it. So what are the numbers based on? Are they infections or are they people in hospital or are they deaths? What I'm looking at here is a graph and it comes from a paper by Andrew Lee, who's an economist, but he's also an assistant minister in the government. He's assistant minister for competition, charities and treasury, and he's giving it on inequalities in the COVID pandemic, but also a lot of analysis on the way through. He's got this graph of deaths. Now, deaths are really one of the hardest numbers that you can come up against in terms of primary cause of death being COVID. So this doesn't account for excess mortality that we've been talking a lot about. So that's where I'm picking it up from. And this is Johns Hopkins University data, pretty much acknowledged as the most reliable data globally. And with this, what we see is in 2020 and 2021, hugely high spikes in deaths in places like the United States and the United Kingdom. And then coming into 2022, it's a little bit more equal across the world between Australia, Canada, the UK and the US. Yeah, and there's clearly the influence of vaccination and some influence from natural immunity, which doesn't last as long as immunity from the vaccination. And you've got immune escape as well from these new sub-variants, which, do, which doesn't help in terms of the overall risk. And of course, the deaths dominantly are in people between aged 80 and, uh, 80 and 90 in these statistics, although some younger people do die. So coming back to the question at the top, like how big are we expecting this wave to be and how long are we expecting it to last? When we spoke about it last week, we talked about the waves in Germany and France looking fairly short. But in fact, you're, also, you're starting to see an uptick in France again. And when you look around most countries in the world, the case numbers are on the rise and are certainly on the rise here. So making predictions is just really hard with, with COVID. Um, we're probably fortunate at the moment that we're dealing with subvariants of Omicron. So there is some cross immunity, but there also is significant immune escape. So we can say, well, let's not knock this, that the, the peaks of the waves are lower, even though numbers of cases may be quite high under the curve and with an extended period of infection. And we just need to hope that we don't get a sudden jump in variants where we move outside the Omicron family, because that could change the debate altogether. But at the moment, we're probably looking at a lower peak, just going on what the graphs look like right now and what they've been looking like for the last six or seven months. But this virus can do anything. So much of what happens with these big population level curves is out of our control as individuals. It has to do with how many people around us are vaccinated, the sort of uh, a level of immunity throughout the community. But at an individual level, we can still take some control. We can wear masks. We can ensure that our vaccinations are up to date. We can ensure that we're in well-ventilated areas wherever possible. Am I missing anything, Norman? A lot of the influences here, though, are at a societal level. And what Andrew Lee talks about in his paper is the fact that when you look at this, so you can look at the age spread and it is biased towards elderly people. There's no question about that. 
But when you look at the socioeconomic spread through the community, in other words, measures of disadvantage, it's disproportionately affecting in Australia people at the at the highest level of disadvantage to a significant extent. So if you take people who have the lowest level of disadvantage in Australia, the percentage share of deaths is about 9.5% versus a whopping 33%, this is in females, in women, in the highest level of disadvantage. So there is a spread according to inequality. And that's about housing, living together, vaccination rates. It's a whole, it's a whole lot of things working together. It's, it just follows the pattern of so much that we see across health is that the people with the highest disadvantage often bear the highest burden of disease. That's right. What's the answer then, then, Norman? Well, if you go by Andrew Lee's paper, but it also makes sense, is that if you know parts of your city and parts of the community who are most vulnerable, that's where you spend more money and more effort and more resources to try and get control, which is better ventilation into social housing, more community-based, language-specific, culturally-specific information about vaccination to improve uptake of vaccination, and so on and so forth. If you know where your problem is, you can direct your resources more productively. And again, things that we could be doing across the board in health as well. That's right. And interestingly, in the Lancet, there's an equivalent paper looking at a global level, and we are no exception. Around the world, disadvantaged groups have come off worst. And if you look through the history of pandemics for thousands of years, pandemics have always widened the gap between those who have and those who have not, right back to the Black Death. And as a society, that's something that we need to take action on. But that is all we have time for on Coronacast today. And I hope that you'll join us next week where my side of Coronacast will be coming to you from Singapore. Oh, can't wait. See you then. You'd think the war in Ukraine is being fought with fancy weapons. But the combat resembles World War I. Soldiers in trenches fighting for every metre. On one side, Russian invaders wondering why they're there. On the other, Ukrainian defenders fighting for their lives. We are fighting for our freedom. We are fighting for our dignity and for our way of life. On this week's episode, the story of two soldiers, a defender and a war criminal. Find Russia if you're listening on the ABC Listen app.